The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, January 7th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. My name is Raymond, for those who don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you would, really quickly, and and I'm going to tell you to mark your Bibles in a number of places because I, I plan to visit those spots. All right, but, but go ahead and, and start in Nehemiah chapter 1. Make sure you put some bulletin or insert or something in Romans chapter 1. And then also, I don't, I don't know what you have left, but go ahead and put that in Luke chapter 7. And it's going to be near the end of Luke chapter 7 if that makes a difference for your pages. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. And then I'll I'll start reading in Nehemiah chapter 1 and see where we go from there. Father, thank you so much uh, for sounds and for a chance to gather together like this. Um, Pray that you'd help us and that you'd speak. Speak to us clearly from your word. Help us to remember what this is all about. Beyond all the cold weather and everything else, help us to remember that for centuries you have been gathering people for your son Jesus. This thing you call the church. You've been gathering a church. You've been purifying a church to be a people that belong to you forever. And in the meantime, you have us living in a, in a place all too familiar to us, but living in a place where so many other people have not seen you yet the way that by your grace we have. What an opportunity, as we remember and we go into a a new year, what an opportunity to remember who you are and to remember who we are because of that. I pray that something we, we do now as we open the Bible together and continue this morning will remind us of that and will make a difference. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that said, amen. amen. Nehemiah chapter 1. I don't, I don't believe Nehemiah was intending to give us an outline for our present series when he poured his heart out to God in prayer. But when we talk about the way that we respond to God, in our communication with him, and communication is important for any relationship, but when we, when we respond to God and we're communicating with him in adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and an old fancy word for just earnestly asking God to supply or to give us what we need to reflect his will for our lives. When we, when we respond to God in that way... Um, This is one of the things that we're showing. And and Nehemiah, watch, he actually does it here. I don't know, again, if he was intending to do it. But Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, he gets some bad news. He basically asks, how are things back home in Jerusalem? He's over in a place called Susa, which is in modern-day Iran. And he's asking, how are things over there in Jerusalem? And the the report that he gets back is this. Verse 3, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile... That remnant is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then he speaks, verse 5. And I said, 
adoration. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confession. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Verse 10. These people are your servants, Lord, and your people, thanksgiving, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He's particularly thankful for the fact that God has rescued his people. And supplication, verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, which in fact God had done. But now, verse 9, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you or though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Verse 11, he continues in supplication, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, meaning the king. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I don't want this to become for us just some formula that we say, okay, I'm about to pray to God. I got to go through all four of these boxes. Or, or even as you open your journal, your CBR journal every morning, and you see those four boxes, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We don't necessarily want you to feel pressure to just find something meaningless to fill up the box. That's not what this is supposed to be about. But these are four very important ways that we communicate with God. And you'll find that in order for us to really be who God's created us to be, each of these four ways, we'll find ourselves expressing ourselves to God in these ways at some point. Sometimes all four of them as we pray, like Nehemiah. And sometimes you'll find that maybe one stands out and you have something particular to to express in that box. Anyway, the point of this is not to shackle you with more religion. Is that okay with you guys? But these are to help us communicate with God and to walk with Him. Now, I'm going to focus today a little bit more on adoration before we get into confession next week. Um, and to do that, I want you to just flip, flip over real quick to Romans chapter 1. And on the way there, I'll say a few things to you. Go ahead to Romans chapter 1. I think we get it. I think we understand sometimes what we need. For instance, we, we, uh, we wake up in the morning... And you feel, for those of you at least who are breakfast type people, right? You get up in the morning, you feel a little hungry, and you know that your body needs food. Or, or maybe throughout the day, you, you haven't eaten in a while, you start to get that feeling uh, that, you know, you're just a little faint and you feel a little weak and you know it's because you need food. And I don't know how this works, but you take one bite of whatever it is. It could be like Rice Krispies. But you just take a bite of something and for some reason you're restored to, to sanity. Do you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? How does that work? Are there any like smart scientists who can explain how that works to me? But you know what I'm talking about. We know that we need food at that moment. Right? And so we give our bodies what they need. We, we're going throughout the day. We, we feel dry or you know, we, we, we know that we're thirsty. We, we, our bodies need water. And we give our bodies the water that they need. It's late at night and you get that feeling. 
you know you should go to bed, but if you're a parent, and especially a parent of younger children, you're so happy to be awake while your children are in bed. Or take that back, while they're in their rooms or some other room in the house, (laughs) while they should be in bed, right? But you're so happy to have some you time or some adult time that you don't go to sleep, but you, you understand that's what your body needs, right? You know how to read those cues. You understand what your body needs, and you tend to give your body what it needs. For some reason, though, when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our hearts, we, we seem to miss the cues that our souls need something with spiritual power. We become very irritable. I get less patient with everybody around me. I, I'm less passionate about the things of God. I'm more easily tempted by things that I, that I used to very quickly just resist and say no to. I find myself getting addicted to things, uh, whether that's looking at screens for various things, surfing through this or doing this. I just, I find myself getting addicted to things and falling into patterns that at the at the very best, are a distraction from more important things. I find myself getting addicted. I can't break the habits, and yet I don't understand that this is a clear indication that that something is off. And that my soul, my heart, needs something to turn it back to its primary need, to see God again and, and to adore God. I don't understand that what I need is to adore to set my heart's gaze upon the living God. But that is exactly what I need. That is exactly what I need. And, and we, we lose sight of this and we, because we forget who we really are. And I think part of this is the way that we're trained and educated today. I can't remember at what grade I learned this. I am getting to Romans chapter one soon. I can't remember in what grade I learned this. But we learned this whole taxonomy and how to classify different animals. And we, we were taught in my school, it was a Catholic school, but we were still taught that we were, as human beings, we're just the highest class of animal. We belong to the animal kingdom. And we, you know, in terms of genus and species, we were homo sapiens sapiens. We were basically no different than a, a, an elevated chimp. We're homo sapiens, right? This is how we're supposed to think of ourselves. That means thinking man. This is what we are, we're told. But I want to submit to you that that is an incorrect way to classify human beings. We are homo adorans. Adoring man, worshiping man. There is something unique about the human being, the imprint of God being made in his image. We are not simply elevated chimps. We are not simply capable of rational analysis. We are people who adore things. You, every day you wake up, your heart will find something to adore. Every day. And what we adore will begin to affect and change us. It will, Romans chapter 1. I'll begin to show it to you. Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is speaking there, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible qualities or attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not, everybody say that next one, honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And, and really, verse 23 is just Bible language for everything God created. If you go back to Genesis, these are the same categories. Verse 24, because of that, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served. And you, you could easily translate this word worshiped as adored. They adored internally. They adored and then began to express that adoration externally in their life of service too. They adored and served, created things, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why adoration is so important. Our souls need to adore the one true living God to truly be human as we were created. And our misplaced adoration is the beginning and the genesis of every problem we face today. I, I promise you. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, I won't read it, but as he goes through the rest of this chapter in Romans chapter 1, he begins to connect those for us. This is the beginning of every other problem we face. What is adoration? What is it? The depiction of it is going to be more important than the description, but here, and I'm, I'm not good at doing this. What is adoration? I, I actually don't care enough about the definition in comparison to what it actually is and how it works in our life to spend too much time on it. But I do like what this, this woman named Elizabeth, she's known as Elizabeth of Hungary. And if you're a Catholic, she's Saint Elizabeth of Hungary. She spoke and said this in the 13th century. I'm convinced they did not have video games and all other kinds of entertainment back then. Because here she is sitting and she says, adoration. And you can tell she's just thinking about it. And she says, adoration. This is a word from heaven. It is love overwhelmed by the beauty, strength, and the immense grandeur of its beloved. It is the most beautiful of all praise that is sung eternally in the bosom of the unchanging Trinity and on earth. It is also the last effort of the human soul as it overflows and can say no more. Adoration begins on the inside of our hearts, but it can never stay there. 
It can never be contained by the heart. It will come out. It will be expressed. It can look different when it comes out. It can burst out in song or it can, it can creep into a silence that's filled with awe. But it must come out. It must come out. And in fact, one, one of the things that, I, that was really hitting me this week as I, I prayed for various people in the congregation, one of the things that struck me in preparation for this morning was the fact that adoration, what we adore, actually has the potential to change or determine what we believe. Hear me out, because I, I love, Tim, what you were saying earlier. We're, it, it's not just during the passing of the peace. We have all kinds of different people in here. We've got our ha people. We've got our, you know, shy people. We've, we've got our extroverts that are, that are going through at least five rows. But look, look. This is also true here. We're, as we gather this morning in a crowd like this, we have those that you might call skeptics. Right? They've been around this Christianity thing for a long time. They're still not persuaded. They're here this morning. Some of them want to be persuaded, but they just can't bring themselves to that place. Others of us are at a place where perhaps we, we agree with God. We agree with much of what this is saying, but it, it doesn't reach the point of adoration, at least not anymore. You might not say amen out loud, but you know what I'm talking about. You can just kind of, sup, give me a nod, right? This is, this is real, isn't it? You know the difference between your heart when it is, is characterized by adoring God and this sort of thing where I agree with him. But here we are with the skeptic, still just a little bit short of adoration. Romans chapter 1, if, if you are one of these skeptics, and you don't have to raise your hand, but listen to this. Listen to this. What you adore can change what you believe. Now, verse 19, it's, it's not what you know or don't know. For what can be known about God is plain to you. Look, if that weren't true, you wouldn't be here. You know enough to be here, as cold as it is outside. You know more than you're letting on. God's attributes have been clearly perceived, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You know you didn't put the stars there, and you know I didn't do it when you weren't looking. You know a whole lot more than you're letting on. But here's what's happening. Although you know God in at least this sense, you do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And, and there's a consequence to that. The consequence is that we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are actually darkened. Our hearts are impacted by the fact that we refuse to honor God and to give thanks to him. When we persist in, in terms of our relationship with God, going no further than analyzing him, this is what happens. We don't remain neutral or unaffected. If all we do is analyze God, we become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. 
we take those foolish, darkened hearts into the rest of our lives. And this is part of the reason why everything else that we want to be special or part of our lives begins to unravel and become, become tainted. Because of this, our foolish hearts become darkened. And all the while, we think we're gaining wisdom. Claiming to be wise. As, as I criticize the Bible, as I turn all my skeptical guns on Christianity, as I swallow whole every other fallacy that allows me to continue to be my own boss and do what I'm doing, even though that's not convincing, I find it more convenient. So I'm going to turn all of my skepticism and all of that stuff on Christian teaching and on the Bible's words, and I'm going to do everything I can to discredit that. And in the process of doing that, I'm going to convince myself that I'm becoming wise. Claiming to be wise, they actually what? Became, everybody? Fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like themselves and other things that God had made. Their adoration rested finally, not on God, where it belongs, but on things that he had made. On other people. So, so the playoffs, the NFL playoffs are going on right now. Go Bills, right? <laughs> but See, I understand that. They haven't been there in a while. I get, I'm a Cowboys fan. I know exactly how that works, right? But the NFL playoffs are going on and we will marvel. We will adore these athletes. You know, the Steelers will play, and people will, if, if he can play, Antonio Brown will be running around, this wide receiver. He'll, I mean, that guy makes catches that you just, you couldn't believe. We marvel at how they jump, and you know, just, man, look at how high that guy jumped, and caught the ball, and got two feet in bounds, and just, we adore these people. But then, you know, the next play, he tears his calf muscle, and he can't walk. And all of his strength is gone. Eagles fans, I'm sorry. <laughs> a, a little, man, uh, just a ligament. A ligament. And, and the hopes of Eagles fans are already seeping out of the link. <laughs> but, but, but. <laughs> you've still got Nick Foles. You've still got Nick Foles. You know, he's... Thank goodness Carson Wentz does not allow his adoration to culminate on Carson Wentz, right? He, he, listen, we, we put so much stock and so much adoration in these things that God has made. And we don't understand how it's affecting us. I, I, I had this conversation with a skeptic once. and if, if this is you, I'm hoping this is helpful. And in fact, it, you can all turn there if you want, but if you are a, a skeptic, especially you, well, this will give it away if you're the only ones who turn. Everybody turn. <laughs> Everybody turn to John chapter 7, verse 17. Be because, again, what you adore has the potential to change what you believe. It's a little statement that Jesus made, but man, if you, if you see what, what God packs into that little statement. John chapter 7, verse 17, people were skeptical about Jesus' teaching and where it came from, and he, he says here in, at end of verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will 
is to do God's will. Or how many of you have a new international version? If anyone desires to do God's will, watch this. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If, if anyone's will is to do God's will, if you have a desire to do God's will, then you'll be able to know. Notice which comes first, the desire. Helps you to know with certainty that Jesus' teaching is from the living God who created you. See, you're still unsure about that, right? You're still unsure about whether or not the Bible's teaching is authoritative word from God. And you think that some new piece of information is what's going to settle the issue for you. And Jesus says it's not a new piece of information, it's a new desire. The problem is what you adore. It's not what you don't know. You adore things that you know to be threatened if you truly and honestly come to Jesus Christ. If you truly submit yourself to the authority of Scripture, you stand to lose what you adore. That is why you will not come. Let's be grown-ups about this. It is not because of what you don't know. I promise you, it was not because of what I did not know. It was because I had a girlfriend at the time that I wanted to keep and I wanted to continue living the way that I was. It was because of the independence that I had that I thought was threatened if I came to Jesus Christ because I was under no confusion about this. I read parts of this Bible. This Jesus is not out here begging for friends. I know people who are begging for friends. Jesus does not fit into that category. This man comes into every room with complete authority. And he says, uh, like that old Jerry Maguire movie, who's coming with me? And he's not dangling goldfish. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, who's coming with me? And I, you know what? Skeptic, you know that. You know it. You know it. You will not give up your independence. But the reason you won't give up your independence is because you don't understand who this Jesus is. You think freedom is walking away from him. And I'm telling you, freedom is coming to him. I am telling you, it, to finally adore him instead of just what he has made. This is true freedom. This is what we were created for. I, it, but but if, I'm telling you, 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 will, you, will, you will continue to stay where you are. I, I saw another example of this this week about, about uh, this adoration changing what we believe. All right, and don't let me lose you because this is political. Just listen. You'll remember last year, it was the Republican convention, and Melania Trump was giving a speech. And some people listened to it, and they said, you know, this speech sounds very familiar. Now, the crowd was roaring with applause. The Republican National Convention. And what wisdom, what great words. And then some YouTube clips began to surface. It turns out that Melania Trump basically regurgitated a speech from Michelle Obama. And everybody applauded in that audience. Now, if Michelle Obama had been standing up in that place saying the exact same words, 
What do you think the response would have been? (laughs) Yeah, it's a Republican National Convention now, right? So it's not the actual content, it's not the words, it's not the ideas, it's not the concepts, it's, it's what they adore. Just this week, I'm, I'm watching again, I'm watching some clips, there are people being interviewed. You know, what do you, what do you think about this Republican tax plan? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's only for rich people. It's going to hurt everybody else. Oh, it's just, it's great for billionaires. All right, well, look, what do you, here, Bernie, Bernie Sanders put out a new plan. He put out an alternative. Here's some ideas. What do you think about this? This. And one by one, they begin to interview people, and they basically give them the content of the tax plan the Republicans just passed through, through Congress. And they said, oh, sounds great. That's what we need. <laughs> because they adore Bernie Sanders. It's not the content. It's what you adore. Listen, listen, here's here's why I'm saying this. I did not get to Luke chapter 7, right? But flip there now. And then we're beginning to close. But here's, here's why I'm saying this. Because I had the hardest time this week trying to piece together a message for Sunday morning. Anyone who preaches can look at me and listen to me right now and know that, Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen, listen, the one thing I left my week of preparation with, the one thing that I just felt Jesus pressing down on me is, is Raymond, these people have access to great messages at the click of a mouse, or that shows you how old I am. People don't use mouses anymore. <laughs> mouses, mice, what, what is it? Is it mice? You know what I mean. They, listen, if, if they're not entertained by what you just did on Sunday morning, they'll go fix that when they leave. But I want them to know, you know that, that thing where they, they want their lives to change? Where they really want to be more like the people God has created them to be? Tell them it's going to happen when they begin to adore my son. Tell them it's not, the, tell, them, tell them that that's the difference. Tell them it is adoring my son. Tell them there's just something that's not clicking and, and it, it's because at best they're analyzing him, maybe agreeing with him, but they haven't gotten to the place where they adore him or, or it's been a long time since they have. Now go to Luke 7. I don't have time to show you the scribe in Mark chapter 12 who tests Jesus and then finds himself agreeing with him. But you can read that for yourself in Mark chapter 12. It says, yes, teacher, you're right. That is the greatest commandment. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not in, but you're close. But look at Luke chapter 7. And if you, if you do CBR with us, you'll come across this, I believe, this week. I forget which day, but we're going to come across this story. So I'll try not to spoil the whole thing for you by giving you all my opinions about it. But in Luke chapter 7... There's a woman who decides to crash a party here. Starting in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's a, that's a euphemistic way of describing what this woman is and does. 
when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, see, he begins to analyze Jesus. You see this? He begins to form his opinion about Jesus. He begins to turn the guns of higher criticism on Jesus. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he said, well, say it, teacher, 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 teacher. I'm here to learn. I'm here to soak up information. I'm here to analyze. I'm here to criticize. I'm here to be skeptical. Teacher, say what you have to say. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, or, or at least believes... He only has a little that needs to be forgiven, if anything at all. He who is forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. And once again, they begin to analyze Jesus. Analyzing Jesus, maybe agreeing with Jesus, but this woman adored Jesus. And do you see why? See, it made all the difference in her life. She walked away and her sins were forgiven. Do you see why she adored Jesus? He was no mere teacher to her. She knew who she was. She didn't need Simon the Pharisee to spell it out for everybody. She understood. Listen, I, I look at my life, uh, and it's not just the first 20 years, you know, before I came to Christ, I, the, the, the last 21 since then, I look at my life sometimes and I think, man, Lord, I, I've really been changed. I've really had Jesus come into my life. I've seen the difference it makes. I, I am actually giving this thing my best shot in addition to all of that. By the power of God's grace on the inside of me, I'm not talking about mere human effort. I am talking about, I am, I am making a sincere effort to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at where I end up at times. Adoring all these things that just, 
You know, sometimes you adore things and instead of giving you life and, and, and fulfillment, they take it away from you. Right? It's, it's like the old story about that, that, you know, the person that adored their little pet snake or actually a really big snake. You heard the story? Well, this person had this snake, really big snake. I think, I think it was like a python of some sort. And, and so, you know, they used to feed the python. Just I loved and adored this thing. Kept it in a cage in the room, but, you know, let the, let the python come out and play and all that kind of stuff. And I don't get these people. But, but in any case, one, one day the python started acting strangely. Just started acting real strange and it wouldn't eat anymore. And, and, and you know, almost started looking sick and would come out of the cage and, and go onto its owner's bed and, and you know, just kind of lay next to the owner and stretch out like it was a human being and, you know, right next to the owner. And she's thinking, what, what's going on? So she gets worried, takes the snake to the vet, you know, and just, my, my snake's acting really strange, and she begins to describe what's going on, and the vet says, you better get rid of that thing right away. That snake is starving itself so that it can eat you. When it stretched itself out on your bed right next to you, it was measuring you to see if this was possible. That's kind of freaky, isn't it? <laughs> Well, listen, listen. Sometimes the things that we adore will take life away from us. That was my point. <laughs> that was my point. Uh, you, you got it. I don't even know if that's true, but you, you, I mean, the statement is true. I don't know if the story is true. You get the point. This story in the Bible is true. This, this woman, this woman adored Jesus because she finally, she finally understood who he was. She knew that this was the Son of God. She knew this man has the authority to forgive everything I've ever done. This man has the ability to change my life. He can accept me. Where others have only used me, this man has never made that attempt. This man has looked at me, and there's something about the way he looks at me. This, this, is, why, this is one of the reasons Jesus had to come. Because if all we needed was information, he could have kept just speaking through prophets. We needed to see the Son of God who is adored eternally in heaven so that we could be changed. Friends, and now Jesus is able, and only Jesus can do this, but he's able, for those of us who can't see him physically, he's still able to see more blessed are those who believe without seeing. You, your heart still has a way to see Jesus and adore him. And adore him the way this woman did. But, but only when, only when you become honest about who you are. This woman was honest about who she was. And through the lens of her sin, she was able to see who Jesus was. No mere teacher, but the one who can deal with my real problem before God. And make it disappear. He can, he can forgive all of it. And I, for the first time in my life, can be clean and feel clean. Not just in the presence of others, but in the presence of God himself. If you are one half the sinner that I am. You know what it is to feel unclean and ashamed in front of other people. I think it only gets worse when some, someone gives you a title and you're a pastor. And, and, you, and all the expectations that come along with that. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this so that you can feel sorry for us. I'm just saying that I go into the grocery store and when I get irritated with my kids, I know that there's someone from Redemption Hill in that grocery store. 
And I, I mean, I was at Aldi. And the, the, you know, the, the guy checking me out, he's like, hey, Raymond, hey. I'm like, oh, did I just, you must have me <laughs> confused with somebody else, you know. <laughs> I know that Redemption Hill pastor you speak about, that's, that's, you know, he would never treat his kids this way. <laughs> you understand, you understand what I'm saying. Adoring God, sometimes skeptic, is the difference between what we believe It determines what we believe. We think it's just the information. I'm telling you it's not. It's also the thing that finally sets our hearts free to be who God created us to be. There will be no substitute for it. The reason we want you to make an honest effort to get into your Bible every day this year is because it's the best shot you have at seeing Jesus and adoring him so that your heart can be free. Lord, help help us to do that. Would you help us to do that? And as we, as we continue to go, help, help us to see the role that confession, thanksgiving, and supplication plays in our life and our relationship with you as well. Um, not, not just to give us another formula, but, but man, Lord, to, to change us. I, I need to be changed. I need to continue to be changed, Lord. I'm, I'm not content with, with where I see myself at times. Now, I get it. I, I know that you've forgiven me. You accept me. I, I'm not, I, I know all that. But I, I, don't think, I don't think that you, you came all the way here and went to a cross, rose again, just so that I could settle for, for being accepted. I, mean, I, I, know, I know you still have us here for, for a greater reason. Um, that's what I want to see. I want to see more of that at the end of this year than I see right now. And that's what, that's what I want for all of your people. Lord, let your gospel, let all these truths we cherish about you dying for our sins, rising from the dead, and giving your spirit to your people and your church, let these things really make a difference. May we not settle for analyzing you or simply agreeing with you, but may we truly adore you. Lord, so as a church we say, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.